as we as we worship this morning, as we want to turn our hearts to God. I've been thinking a lot about thankfulness this week. Of course, I have to because I'm the guy who's preparing the message, so it's just my job to be thinking about these things. But I trust you've been thinking about thankfulness as well. And uh, as we gather this morning, we'd be able to turn our, our hearts and our minds toward, toward the Lord together. So let's pray and, uh, and just prepare to hear from God as we study his word. Father, you're a good God. We need to remember that. Sometimes you're just so good and so consistently good that we fail to remember your goodness. We think that life should just work out this way, that food should always be on the table, that circumstances should always be working out fairly well. And yet, Lord, we look around us and we look around at this world and the things going on and we understand how things go naturally when people forget you, when they turn away from you, and when people seek to gratify themselves, we see what takes place. And so, Lord, we come before you this morning uh, thankful that you've opened our eyes to truth, that you've helped us to understand your grace and your goodness as found in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we, we say, teach us more. Help us to have clearer vision. Help us to understand just how great this love is that we're singing about, that we're reading about. Help us to understand it in a fuller sense as we look into your word, as we consider our lives, and as we grasp who you are, as we get a, a little better understanding of you and your character. So lead us, we pray, in Christ's name this morning. Amen. Well, to this point, we've been studying Jacob and his life, and it has been an excellent lead-in to the holiday of Thanksgiving. And you might be saying, how so? How can, how can Jacob be leading us to, to give thanks? But in him, in his life, in this story we've been studying, it can help us to identify what truly we are to be thankful for. We think about Jacob, and I've said he is just a representation of, of everything that we could be if we are fighting with God, if we're struggling against God, if we're not, you know, willingly following him, even as he has, has grabbed us with grace and saying, no, I'm going to keep you close. I'm going to keep you following me. I'm going to continue to love me. We look at Jacob's life and he grabbed greedily many things, didn't he? Other times, the Lord granted him gracious gifts. And we think about that difference in our own lives. Being blessed is obviously better than self-gratification. And sometimes we look at the things that we have and we go, well, I have them because, man, I worked hard to make sure I would get them. And sometimes God just allows us to get things we want 
when we're not having the proper attitude about those things. But then we do know there are other times where, man, God has just graciously blessed us with something. We weren't looking for it, but God gave it to us. Or maybe we were looking for it, but we had no way that we could get it, and then he comes through, and he, he blesses us. And you think about that difference in your life, in my, you know, I think about it in my life. We think about it in our lives. How much better it is to be blessed, to go, wow, God blessed me. God gave me this. God was good to, to me here. Because when we're out there grabbing things, remember Jacob, the blessing, the birthright, in the end, we're kind of scratching our heads. We're going, you know, is this really what God wanted for me? Does God really love me? Or was this just my manipulation? <laughs> my, I'm going to make sure that I get blessed. <laughs> and it's not really blessing at all. Or, or we're unsure about whether it's the blessing of God. I mean, Jacob, even through those things, God says, you know what? I'm going to bless Jacob. But I'm also going to bless him with a lot of teaching. <laughs> A lot of learning. He's going to have a lot of struggles to, to turn him away from self-love, self-gratification. And turn him back to me. And that's what God does with us. He wants us to understand, hey, I am the giver of every good and perfect gift. Rest in me. Trust me. You can. And as we do that, as we go along in this process, this learning, this this, this journey of growth in our faith relationship with God, we start to understand how deeply he loves us. He loves us so much he's going to give us what we need. He loves us so much he's not going to give us things that we want that won't be good for us. And we learn to trust him more deeply. And this is what is happening with Jacob. Is it happening in your life? Do you see how it happens and is happening in your life? You might say, well, I'm not as greedy as Jacob was. Maybe we could honestly say, I'm not as obviously greedy as Jacob is. I've learned how to look a little better when I'm greedy. How to covet in a, in a Christian way. You know, we have sayings like, God helps those who help themselves, right? Sounds like a proverb. It's not a proverb, by the way. <laughs> it's something that people have made proverbial, and it's something that people try and sanctify their selfishness by saying things like that. And you think, how much more beautiful if we would just learn, hey, God has this. He loves us more than we even love ourselves, better than we love ourselves. Why don't we just leave that blessing in his hands. Because look at what he's given us. Look to that greatest expression of love. Jesus Christ. The self-sacrifice of Christ. God's son on the cross. Are we willing to give up the things of this brief life? The things. In order to learn what is true life, to gain that life, that which is much greater. No, not much greater, that which is 
everlasting. So you noticed we, we didn't read a psalm today, and Jana gave you that, that hint. She, in fact, sang the whole thing. Psalm 107, it wasn't quite the entire psalm, but we're going to study Psalm 107, so open your Bibles there, and uh, the best thing about this, folks, is that we've already studied this psalm in our Thursday night studies, so those of you who come to the Thursday night study, you got a head start. I'm not saying that you can go to sleep, that you don't have to think about this, but we're going to go into this psalm again. We studied it on Thursday night, and we're going to push even deeper in terms of our understanding of what's being said here, what God is communicating through the psalmist in this, this poetry, and we're going to understand more deeply what is the application for us. And so those who missed the Thursday night study, you're going to understand the psalm too, and you're going to understand maybe a little bit of what we've been doing on those Thursday night studies because, man, these psalms are rich. They're full of a lot of truth. Psalm 107 is a thanksgiving psalm. And it begins like this. Let's read. I'm going to read verses 1 down through 9. It starts out this way. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. And I'm just going to stop for a moment. Do you feel thankful to God this morning? I know we know all about thanksgiving. But from the depth of your soul, do you feel thankful to God? And even if you're saying, I don't, that's okay, because we'll start there and go, why not? Or maybe you're thinking, man, I don't feel thankful enough. I'm more, you know, thankful for other things than really focused on thank being thankful to God. I I'm more worried about what I have and don't have. And we need to start there if that's where we're at. And say, why aren't we as thankful as we should be? That could be something that applies to every single one of us this morning. We're not as thankful as we should be or could be. And we consider why. Why? Well, let's carry on reading. Psalm 107, verse 2, let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. That's the introduction to this psalm. And then it says this, Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Just those nine verses are an incredible start for this Thanksgiving Sunday. But I feel with that last line that talks about the hungry soul being filled with good things, I, 
I have to get a butterfly net and capture your, your thoughts that are already flying away to some Thanksgiving feast, right? We find it so easy to focus on food and to think about these things. Let's get back to thanking God for what really needs to be thanked for. You might notice there's repetition in this psalm. And as we study the psalms on our Thursday night, that's what you notice. In Hebrew poetry, there's a lot of repetition. Things are repeated again and again to impact our minds with truth, to, to, to drive home the truth that God is trying to communicate to us. And so there are verses that are repeated throughout this psalm. There's a cycle that's repeated here. There are words that are repeated again and again. And this reveals to us that this is a highly crafted psalm. This is not just, you know, some little ditty. Some guy started scratching some thoughts down and, you know, it came together in a couple moments. This is something that is really thought out, that is put together with precision in order to communicate a truth. And God was working through the psalmist as he spoke this, as he wrote this truth. You know, many of the psalms are like that. They have this, this structure or this uh, specific way of being put together, and we don't notice it. Some of them aren't as obvious as this psalm. But oftentimes we miss it because we either read it through quickly or we hear somebody else read it to us and we don't realize the truth that God is, is, is putting out there and then he's, he's pushing it up in front of our face and then he's poking it, us with it and he wants us to get this truth. And the one truth that is hit again and again that we're going to focus on today that is the hinge as far as if we're going to understand this message is that one word steadfast love now in your translation it might be translated a different way it's right at the end of verse one his steadfast love endures forever maybe your bible talks about kindness or maybe it uses the word mercy or maybe it says faithful love but the meaning of this psalm the importance of this psalm, the impact of this psalm comes through that one word, considering God's ongoing love for us. Steadfast love. The word in Hebrew is hesed, or hesed, the way they would say it. I, I don't know exactly how a Hebrew person would say it, but that is the word that's behind the message of this psalm. And you know, as we started studying the psalms and we started picking out this word, it begins to be hard to miss this word. Hard to find a psalm that doesn't have this word in it. We have people reading psalms every week here for our worship. And again and again, you'll hear this steadfast love. This ongoing mercy is repeated again and again and again. So this morning as we read this psalm that is full of this word, steadfast love, we're going to ask three questions to help us capture the message of this psalm more profoundly. First of all, what is this steadfast love? Second of all, where does it apply? 
And third, how does it impact us? Very simple questions. But if we put our heart and mind into this, we're going to be affected profoundly by the answer to these questions. So first of all, what is steadfast love? I mean, because this word shows up in the first verse and in the final verse. It shows up in verse 8, 15, 21, 31. It's repeated again and again. How do we understand this word hesed? This English word, steadfast love. Sometimes when we start talking about word meanings and what we have in our English Bible, it unsettles us a little bit. Because we say, you know, a pastor will get up and preach or somebody who's doing a study and they'll go, well, the English word that we have in our Bible doesn't really capture the truth of what, and we start to go, do I understand the Bible? Am I hearing what God is trying to say? Because I, I'm just reading this in the English word, in the English version, and, and it says it, it doesn't, this guy's saying it doesn't communicate it clearly. But don't let it unsettle you. Because the truth is this, when will our language ever capture the character of God? When can human language completely communicate who he is? And so, you know, even if we go back to the Hebrew, the Greek, the original languages, those languages don't completely communicate. You know, one word there cannot communicate who God is, everything who he is. We have to slowly understand who God is. And many times it's by repeating that word in different places, in different circumstances, different contexts that continue to fulfill out the meaning, the full meaning of that word. And then we have beyond that, the meaning of who God is. And I think of that when I was learning another language you know, sometimes we, we'd have vocab lists, and you take that word, and then you get a simple definition afterwards, and you think, I understand that word. But it was always hard to, to remember that word and remember its definition. But there was another way we would learn language, too. Sometimes we would hear somebody say a word that we'd never heard before, but they said it in context. They said it in a situation and with a look on their face that we knew what that word meant. We didn't even know how to say it yet. We heard it, we heard the sound, but we knew the meaning better than we knew the word because of where we were hearing the word. And that's what it's like when it comes to understanding even these, these descriptive adjectives for God. The repetition helps us because we hear it in this context, in this Old Testament poetry. Or we hear it in this history, this Old Testament history that talks about God's gracious love. Or we read it in the New Testament context when Jesus was walking the, on this earth. Or we read it in New Testament teaching, the Apostle Paul laying things out. And slowly we get a more rounded, a more full, a more profound understanding of what this word means, of what this truth is, what it's saying 
about who our God is. You see, God has steadfast love for his people. What does that mean? Well, if we gather together everything that's said about this steadfast love in the Bible, and as we've read it through and, and we see it in different contexts, we understand this is this simple word has said is saying this. It's talking about God's gracious, absolute, active, everlasting commitment of love for his children no matter what. And it's even more than that if we're thinking of God's character. I want to say at the end of that statement, Selah. Have you seen Selah in the Psalms? You'll be reading through the Psalms and sometimes one Psalm will have it a couple times. Sometimes it'll just show up in one place. And it's the Psalmist putting in like a, a musical notation, uh, you know, stop and consider. Think about this for a moment. Meditate on this. And I want to say to us, Selah. Think about what that means. Think about what that means as far as what's communicated to us through the scripture. Think about what that means in terms of the circumstances of life. Think about what that means in terms of your life. You. And your relationship with God. Maybe you have a profound relationship with God. You know him through Jesus Christ and you've been walking with him for years. Maybe you're at the place where you're just considering who God is and, and considering whether or not you should have a relationship with him. Think about what that means. God's steadfast love. His gracious, absolute, active, everlasting commitment of love to you no matter what. Do you feel it? Do you understand that God feels that way about his children, how he loves them and will be actively, constantly involved in loving them even as they struggle with sin? He calls them to himself through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ made this, this, this possible that we could be in this loving relationship with him. Comes up again and again throughout this psalm. As I said, it was there at the beginning, it's there at the end. It's there four more times throughout as, as the psalmist deals with different circumstances of life. He says, there it is. God's steadfast love. And people were struggling with this, but once again, God's steadfast love, his absolute commitment to be actively involved in a gracious way, even though they didn't deserve it. He's there again. He's there again. And he's there again. Wanting. Wanting to love us. Well, let's take a look at the situations that develop in this psalm or that the psalmist develops it's interesting and this is the the second question where does God's steadfast love show up where does it show up 
It's interesting, the circumstances the psalmist chooses. There are four different circumstances. And, you know, I'm thinking, why would he choose these four circumstances? Was it just his top four picks? Things from his life that he thought, well, you know, the psalmist psalm is going to get too long if I, if I write about my ent- entire life, so I'll just choose these four areas. Or was it God in his divine inspiration saying, you know what, I'm going to choose, I'm, gonna, I'm going to direct you to choose these four areas because they, in a general way, cover anything that anybody could face. I don't know the answer to that question. But we're going to look at these four circumstances and we're going to understand how God comes through in these, in these situations. These are spaces where God's grace shows up in an incredibly marvelous way. And if you want to simply state uh, these four ways, it's like this. Famine, the loss of freedom, being lost in foolishness, and the frenzy of life. Those are the four circumstances. And we could all say, yeah, yeah, I found myself in those situations where there was famine. Now, maybe we weren't starving, but we were lacking something. And we felt like we were wandering in a desert, as it says. There were times where, where we were captive to something. There were times when we were trapped in foolishness, our own foolishness. And there are times where we get lost in the frenzy of life. We face problems in the midst of that. Let's look at those four circumstances, those four cycles, and each of them starts with the simple word, some. Some did this, some did that, some had this situation, some had the other. Or sometimes. Let's look at verses 4 and 5. Some faced the predicament of poverty. Verse 4 and 5 say, Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. This is this part, this circumstance is talking about basic human needs that we have in our life. I mean, we always think of I mean, these are the things on a Thanksgiving day, if you were in any Sunday school class, if you were talking to anybody on the street, we parrot these things too. What are you thankful for? We would say, what? Food, shelter, clothes, care, community, all these sort of things that are just basic human needs that we often, in our context here, take for granted. And yet in this circumstance, the psalmist is saying, yeah, sometimes people go without those things. Sometimes we don't have those things. There are some situations where it's as bleak as this. It's like people walking in a desert. They're not in a community, in a situation where their basic needs are being met. Situation number one. Then we jump down to verses 10 and 12. Some face the problem of oppression. Let's read what it says in 10 through 12. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. 
So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Now this is a little different, this problem. I mean, the first one, it was sort of like these people were stuck, stuck wandering out in the desert. They had not the, bas the basic needs. But here, he's talking about a problem they have, and it's, they're lost. They're, they're, they're lost as a result of rebellion. Their refusal to trust in God has led them to be captive. And we know that can happen in a physical way, in a political way. We read throughout the Old Testament how Israel turned from God and then another nation came in and oppressed them. And that's where they were when Christ came into the world. But you know, many times you and I are captive. We rebel. God is our sovereign. He's our leader. He's our Lord. And yet we go, well, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. I'm going to go my own way. I'm going. And then it's not till we find ourselves in a position of captivity. And I'm not saying you're going to find yourself in a jail cell. You could. That is often the result of people who live a rebellious life. They end up in jail. But what about the captivity that you and I find ourselves in when we rebel against God, when we say, I want to go our own way, and we find ourselves captive to the things of this world? As simple as our wants are our fears. There's this mental, emotional captivity that we find ourselves in because we're not living in proper relationship with God. We are not walking with him as Lord of our life and he's, you know, he wants to lead us into freedom. What does Jesus say? The truth will make you free. You live according to truth Reality, that's what truth means. It's not some mysterious thing. If you live according to reality, as real as it is in this world, you don't just go off and go, I'm going to make up my own rules, going to do what I want. You can be free. And of course, the greatest of those realities is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And from that, all the, uh, that is real stems. And so here we find this situation of people impressed, oppressed, imprisoned because uh, of rebellion. There's captivity. Just because they didn't trust in God. We go to the next one, verses 17 and 18. Look at what it says. What did some face there? Some were fools through their sinful ways. Because of their iniquity, they suffered in affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near the gates of death. They didn't just walk away from God, but they were actively seeking to sin. They were doing things that were wrong, and the crisis they had was a product, a byproduct of their sin, of their pride. They walked into sin and they suffered and you know the crazy thing about this you know we think when we sin we're getting what we want lays something very out very clearly here in verse 18 
It says they loathed any kind of food. You know, we sin to be satisfied. And in the end, are we really satisfied? Are we really satisfied when we're grabbing and taking all we can get? In the end, no, we're not. For a brief moment, we're kind of like, woo, I got what I wanted. And then it's like, now I want something more. Now I'm looking for something else, something that will really satisfy me. And that's why it says, you know, it's, it's foolishness. Sinful foolishness. And as I was thinking about that, it came to my mind in Hebrews 11. We talked about Moses growing up in the palace, right? The Egyptian palace. But it says this, rather, rather than choosing the pleasures of sin for a season, Moses went and was persecuted and suffered and struggled with his brethren. How often, though, do you and I foolishly enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, for a time, for a brief period? Not even this whole life. It's not even usually a week. We're happy with what we get for hours, a day, days, and then we're off searching for something else. The final circumstances that some faced plights in their productivity, we see it in verses 23 to 27. Some went down into the ship, or sorry, into the sea in ships. They were doing business on the great waters. This comes up again in Ecclesiastes. It talks about casting your bread on the waters. It talks about back then people understanding big business. It wasn't like corporation now. It was trading and selling. And, and oftentimes ships were used like just to envision that idea of big business. And this is another circumstance that people find themselves in. They're in the business or busyness of life. They saw, as they were doing this business, as they were trading in ships, they saw the deeds of the Lord, verse 24. His wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. Then they mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men, and we're at their wits' ends. And if you're not picturing Jonah <laughs> right now, if you're not thinking of a, a tumultuous sea and a ship going to the peaks of the wave and then falling to the, to the trough. I mean, they were just, they were in business. They were focused. They were doing what we do in this world. They were making money. And all of a sudden, in the middle of that, as they were focused on their business, God moves in. Maybe you and I have never been in a storm on the sea. But there are economic storms, aren't there? There are times when we go through peaks of waves and then the the trenches, the troughs, economic downturn. We don't have the money we need. 
or maybe businesses are lost or things fall apart completely. And you know, when that happens, it's great to have a solid relationship with the Lord, right? But once again, it's this, this idea, some people found themselves in, in the business or busyness of life, and then all of a sudden things turn bad, and they, didn't, they realized they didn't have a relationship with God. They weren't walking with him practically in life. They weren't trusting him. They weren't saying, God, this life is in your hands. And whether I have or don't have, whether I have in my hand or don't have in my hand, at least I know I am in your hand. That I'm in your hand. That you're caring for me. That you're taking care of me. These people, in the end, they didn't have a leg to stand on. Or they didn't have the ability to stand on their legs. Once again, we're on that ship that's being tossed. And you see the people walking around. The, the big businessman or the ship hand, doesn't matter who they are, when they go through the storm, everybody's stumbling around. Nobody Nobody's on their feet solidly. We can readily identify with these problems as we go through them. These circumstances, they're, they're circumstances of life. We know they can happen. And we know what happens when we're not thinking of God, we're not thanking God, walking in relationship with Him, understanding His grace, his chesed, his steadfast love for us, really throws us. And in each of these cases, in each of these circumstances, these people who were wandering around without, these people who had foolishly turned their own way, who were in sin, who were just doing their own thing, What's it say in verse 6, in verse 13, in verse 19, in verse 28? Let's read verse 6. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. It says that for each circumstance. Just not having or foolishly walking in sin or ignoring God completely. It says, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. Even trouble that they caused themselves. And he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. In that circumstance, he, he, it gives the details. In each of these circumstances, they cried out in their distress. He heard them. And then he takes care of the details of life to restore them. To help them. To encourage them. And then there's a repeated verse after those details. Verses 8, verses 15, verse 21, verse 31. Exactly the same wording. Let's look at verse 8. They're called, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. For his wondrous works to the children of men. It says those exact same things in 15, in 21, in 31. A call, thank the Lord. Why? Hesed, steadfast love. Look, he delivered you. 
Again, he helped you out of those circumstances, even circumstances that you got yourself into. He's been there for you. And we think about that. We can wander wanting. And in love, he waits to refresh us. We can rebel and be ruined. And in love, he will relieve. We can foolishly flounder. And in love, he offers rescue. When blasted in our busyness, in love, he gives reprieve. That's Psalm 107. In a nutshell, every time we get into something because of our sin, because of sin in the world, because of what's going on around us, he's there. He's there waiting for us. He's there offering us hope and his steadfast love. His no matter what love. I'm here. I can care for you. And we think of that last question, how does God's steadfast love impact us? How does it impact us? If we look at the the last of the psalm, verses 33 down to 43, it's the final section. After we go through these four cycles, these four circumstances where People are in trouble. They call out to God. God ministers. God turns things around. And they're called to thank him. In this final section, it circles back to the first problem. The poverty. The desert poverty. And perhaps it circles back to that because it's the easiest to identify. You know, it's when we know things are bad, you know, there can be problems with price hikes and problems like this moral problem in the world. There can be things can't be, can be not working well. But when there's not food on the table, then we know there's trouble, right? <laughs> that's when, you know, when your stomach's growling, that's when you know, oh, something needs to be done. Here, there's, there's a situation. And so the psalmist circles back to that first problem perhaps because it's the most obvious and easiest to identify. And he talks about what the Lord does, 33 down through 43. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. And he gives both sides of the picture. He says, you know what? God can take the bad and he can make it completely good. Just like that. God can transform things. But you know, let's remember God's sovereign. Why were things bad in the first place? Was that not in God's hands too? Is that not God trying to work in this world? To do a greater work than just make things nice. We all want things to be nice. But God wants things to be good. God wants us to be in a good relationship with him. He's also the God who flips the switch the other way 
And things can be going good, and all of a sudden, boom, problems. And what do we do? Well, we saw it in the four cycles. This is why God has us go through hard times, because when we go through hard times, when we identify difficulties in our life, and we go, oh, there's nothing that I can do about this. We're desperate, and we call out to God. We go, God, help us. So many people in the world, it's so naturally ingrained. You see them on the news when a tragedy strikes. They're, they're calling out to God for help, sometimes even using his name as a swear word. But it's ingrained in our thinking. We need God. We need his help. And let's be careful that we don't simply call out his name in an unthinking, vain way. That when we call out his name, we're saying, God, <laughs> you and you alone are my help, are my strength, are the one that will love me through whatever foolishness, whatever sin, whatever rebellion, because you have said that's who you are. You're a God who forgives sin again and again and again. You are the God who loves like no other. And this truth alone should bring us to repentance. And if we're living in rebellion against truth, it should cause us to, to turn around. Not simply, repentance is, is not simply being sorry, but it's turning back to God. It's living in His truth. It's recognizing the value of the cross of Jesus Christ. God's Gracious love cannot be applied to us as sinners apart from the cross. Because Jesus on the cross paid the necessary penalty for our sin. Paid for, paid for in full. And that's grace. That's grace. This grace where God does something for real in the circumstance, the circumstances of our life and in the circumstance of life. The problems you're going through, God will really transform things, really change things for good. He does that. But in the circumstance of life, that whole sin thing, that's where it's seen most clearly. You say, I'm a sinner. What hope do I have? And God says, I have taken care of that. Put your faith, trust in my son, in this gospel, in the cross. And that's a message for people who've never turned to him. And that's a message for those of us who know him and yet, we're just not living in that truth. Living with that, that, that confidence we should have in God's consistent love because, look at the cross. While we were yet sinners, while we were in rebellion, 
While we were foolish, Christ died for us. And he was raised again. Power over sin and death. Even as we as human beings struggle along with sin and death in this life, the divine answer came. The permanent answer for our sin has been paid in Jesus Christ. And that's the first impact. Steadfast love. Transformed reality. A new truth that cuts through the junk of this world. If we'll turn to him and believe, walk in faith. The second impact of Hesed love for those who have understood what happened on the cross we, we see we are called to thank God those people who believed in him are caused to who've seen his love his steadfast love in their life it's interesting you look at this psalm and we've used these words a couple times in the study of our psalms it's an inclusio something is included in it it has a chiastic structure Words you don't have to remember, but remember this. There are brackets, beginning and end. There are brackets inside those brackets that continue to lead us to one central thought that the psalmist and God are trying to communicate to us. It's like a little treasure right in the middle of the psalm. And they write the psalm in a way that it points it to us. We've always said, verse 1 and verse 43 have steadfast love in them. The moment you get the beginning of a psalm and the end of a psalm and they say the same thing, start thinking, brackets, something is included in here. There's a little gem in the middle that you need to hold on to. The first full section of the psalm is talking about desert troubles. The last full section of the psalm is talking about desert transformation. Both are mentioned. Right? People wandering in the desert without. The last thing is God transforming the desert into springs of water. And then there are two sections that mirror each other. We've already mentioned the first one. We mentioned the second one. The first one was the people who had, were oppressed and persecuted. And they were bowed down. They fell down. They couldn't stand on their legs. The last one, the business people, right? On the ships, tossed, and they're staggering around. They can't stand up. And it all brings us to a center section. There's one section. One of the cycles is in the center, and that's normal. It's like all the other cycles. But there's a verse pegged on to the end of that middle section. It's kind of like it's out of sequence. It's verse 22. So we go through we go through that section 17 to 21 you know and it ends with that typical let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love for his wondrous works to the children of men and then there's verse 22 which if you have this written out in Hebrew according to the Hebrew lines verse 22 is the center point I don't know if they used rulers and, and 
protractors and compasses when they wrote these psalms, but this is all, sometimes they do, they use the alphabet, and it goes up and down, and, and then it brings you to this one thought, and what's it telling us? Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. What's this psalm telling us to do? What's the central point? A sacrifice of thanksgiving. Make a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And not just like anybody can do, just sort of say, oh, thanks for, oh, I'm thankful for this. Oh, I'm thankful. Verse 1 calls us to give thanks let the redeemed of the Lord say so. He's redeemed us from trouble. We start, it's not just, oh, I'm thankful for good things. We look at how bad things could be or have been. And we're thankful. The last verse, verse 43, it says, consider his steadfast love. He wants us to meditate on it. He wants to think, us to, to go through. He's been taking us through all these different circumstances and problems and issues. And maybe you're going, yep, had that one, had that one, had that. Or maybe you're thinking, wow, I faced this in this way, and this is how bad it was. This is how low, this is how low I had been. And then what happened? We call out to God. We say, God, help me. I'm in, I'm in trouble. I've caused this trouble. And God responds. God transforms the situation. Maybe he just transforms our heart. And we're left going, why was I so upset? God's got this. God's got me. And the psalmist is saying, think about it. Think about how faithful he's been. Then offer. Central point, verse 22. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. I have a question at this point in the message. There's a little bit more I want to say. There's one final impact point for God's steadfast love. But before we get into it, what about it? Anybody have a sacrifice that they would like to offer right now of thanksgiving to God for some way he has cared for them, blessed them, taking care of them? Just right where you're sitting. You don't have to stand up, come up to a microphone. Just speak out. What has God done for you? Any, anybody want to give? This is an opportunity to give that sacrifice of thanksgiving. Lisa. You don't have to. You can just stand up there, turn around, and as long as people can hear you or sit and I'll speak. Use, I'll use my okay.
okay? Thanksgiving to God for him working things out the way they should be and we'll continue to pray for Don. Somebody else, a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Yes, Grace. Oh, okay, your birthday tomorrow. The Lord has given you another year to live for him, to praise him, to thank him. He's taken you through a big transition coming to this country too, hasn't he? Yeah, it's been good. Someone else. There are other people who went through transition coming to this country too. Oh, sorry, enough one. we're thankful for you too yeah community that's one of those things that's in that list in the first thing that people were lacking lacking community and it's it's something that we don't we don't understand this world our society maybe especially doesn't understand how much we need it but God's given it to us I like how you say that about us we're we're trying our best <laughs> we're not there but we're trying to love each other, trying to, to, to minister to each other, trying to uphold and encourage one another. Anybody else? An offer, offering a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Jen. Some even from Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you, God. Thanks be to God. His steadfast love. Yes, Nate. Uh oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. things.
thanks be to God for that. Something I was thinking is, it's God isn't our hope in the end. It's not like, oh, in the end. God is our hope from the beginning, and that's it. Before we get into those things, we go, hey, but God, God has already shown his love, his faithfulness. He'll continue to show. We don't know how. Maybe we'll know how faithful he is. We'll know him better as we face greater challenges in life. Another sacrifice, another offering of thanksgiving. Anybody? Okay. Oh. Gary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. people on the other side in Gaza getting killed now as well. Yeah, there's, that's the fresh news, isn't it? And we think, we look around us in this world and we think there's stuff like this happening all the time and, and some of the stuff that's happening right now, it's become old news, so we don't even know about it. We don't even hear about it. Lots of tragedy going on in the world. We can be thankful for the fact that we, yeah, we're not in the midst of that, but we need to be praying for the rest of our world. Praying that they will come to know God's steadfast love. That they will know about Christ. Is there something coming over here? A, a translated? Okay, a sacrifice, an offering. Do it, do it phrase by phrase. It's, it's better that way. Stand up and, and you talk louder than he talked.
That more of us will get shot. <laughs> no, there it is, the cycle, the cycle in his life. The terrible thing happens, the talking to God, not just going, oh my God, but talking to God, even the questioning God. God's open to that. He can, he can take that if we question him. But communicate directly with God. Ask him, and then God filling it in. Showing us this is because of his steadfast love for us. So the three things, the impact. First of all, God really transforms the situation. He really works. Second, we have been called to really respond. And we are prompted to respond because of his grace. When we, when we look at his grace, there's no way we can't say, God, thank you. You have been good. And the third thing, we'll be ready to show grace to others. You know, you, Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by your love. What was he talking about? New Testament agape love is Old Testament chesed, love, gracious love, love that is beyond. It's not just being a nice neighbor. I mean, we live in Canada. Everybody's nice here, not true, but you know, that's what the, the idea that we have is that Canada's a nice place. But the thing that speaks out is not, oh, Christians are nicer. No, Christians are gracious. Christians have been impacted by chesed love, that absolute commitment, and they're ready to show that to other people, kind of like the negative example of that, you know the parable of the unforgiving servant. The king forgave that servant a debt he could have never paid. And then he turned around and what? He grabbed another servant by the throat who, who owed him a couple dollars. And had him thrown in prison. Why? Because he didn't understand the grace that had been shown to him. You and I, we take time to give thanks, to look at what God has really done in our lives, taking a situation, even a desperate bad situation, and turning it around for his glory, for our good, gives cause for thanks. We have to say, thank you, Lord, gratitude for his grace. And then when we understand that grace, We turn around and we show that grace, that unconditional love, that, hey, yeah, you did something against me, but I'm going to forgive you. And then you did it again, but I'm going to continue to be forgiving. 
It doesn't mean that we'll always have a wonderful relationship with the people around us. We know that. But am I ready and willing to show grace again and be gracious again as God has been with me? Because in my relationship with God, he owes, I owe him, I owe him so much more love and he's absolutely perfect. In my relationship with other people, they don't owe me and I'm not perfect and yet I should be still showing them grace. I owe them grace because of what God has poured out on me. And so we think, we think about what we're doing. We're thinking about what we've received. We're consciously, consciously considering God's steadfast love. That's where the psalm ends, 43. Consider the steadfast love of the Lord, how good he's been with you, to me, to us, even as a congregation today. What impact? Well, we see real changes. And we're ready to lift our voice in thanksgiving, offer that sacrifice, and then we're ready to show that grace to other people as well. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this truth. Thank you for how uh, you, through your spirit, speak to us personally. We all are living different lives. There are a lot of similarities, but we're all going through different things and we're at different points in our journey with you. In our own hearts, we see how much we're like Jacob, where we want to get what we want. And yet you are graciously bringing us along, helping us to understand it's not about us, it's about you about you being a good God, about you ministering to us, about you helping us grow. It's about you coming into this world as a man, giving your life to pay for our sins so that we could have a relationship with you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your grace shown in all of these different circumstances Thank you for your grace shown through your coming and dying for us. Thank you for your grace being shown in our experience as a congregation, as a people right here, right now. We pray that we would continue to be able to offer a sacrifices back to you of thanksgiving. Even as we live this day, as we live out this week, as in relationship with other people, may we continue to be people who spread this message of grace through the way we live our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.